Welcome to the Discomfort by Design podcast, where we showcase people who chase discomfort, live life on the fringe, and pursue high adventure. We bring you the stories that inspire you to go find out. Now here's your host, Taylor Quick. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Another episode of Discomfort by Design. Today, I've got an awesome guest for you guys. Uh, world champion Highland Games thrower, power lifter, all-around awesome guy, Mr. Matt Vincent. Matt, what's up, brother? How's it going, man? Pleasure. Man, it, it's good. It's good. Um, and just uh, getting things kicked back up, I took a took a few weeks to have some downtime over the holidays. Didn't do, didn't do any recording, any podcast, anything like that. Just really enjoyed some family time. And, um, man, I, my wife has two brothers and their, their wives and kids came in and we had a, it was a, it was a whole bunch of people for several weeks. So we had a, we had a really good time. Just enjoyed the downtime, man. How was, how was your holidays? Uh, my holidays were good. We, uh, you know, we got through a bit of a, a rough December with some loss in the family and just overall big stress and life change. And we were able to um, kind of get through that and get down and actually see my mom and spend some time with family, which was really nice. And then uh, press on to kind of into the new year with the new goals and letting go of the end of whatever last year was being thankful for what we got and go in progress, man. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, so where, where is your, uh, you said getting down to see your mom, where she live? Uh, Louisiana. So I'm from Louisiana and my mom still lives where I grew up in my childhood house. Same place. No, that's awesome, man. I, uh, I had, uh, I recorded an episode yesterday with, uh, with Kurt Hester, um, down there. He's the, you know, strength coach at Tulane. I'm sure you know who Kurt is, but, uh, so I got two Louisiana boys back to back. That's awesome, man. What, uh, Oh, so great. You, yeah. It was a really interesting episode, man. Kurt, Kurt's a great dude and tells really cool stories. So, um, there was, uh, there was one he shared on the podcast about throwing a live alligator into a weight room on a, uh, squat max day to get his guys juiced up. So I was like, man, that is, go. uh, that is about as deep Cajun as it comes. So yeah, alligators are a fun part of growing up in Louisiana. For sure, man. So, uh, man, before we jump into all the current stuff you got going on, can you uh, just give a quick background on you? You know, who you are, obviously, you said you're from Louisiana. How'd you grow up? You know, where'd you get to where you are right now with athletics and everything like that? Just kind of who is Matt? Where are you from? Where you been? All that stuff. Sure. The uh, 10 second story. Uh, so born and raised in Sulphur, Louisiana. Uh, high school was sports kind of growing up regular southern kid life parents are great uh parents were together uh for as long as they were or as long as my dad was alive um mom's a teacher dad works in a refinery so after high school i made my way on a track scholarship to lsu moved to baton rouge spent 20 years there um was a very average thrower in college did some after after college went into trying to run a bicycle shop and failed um, got a real job, became, or tried to become an adult for about 10 years, found some powerlifting, weightlifting again, back in my life after kind of collegiate throwing was over and ended up 
getting into the Scottish Highland Games, where I spent 10 years traveling around as a professional athlete uh, within that sport and won world championships in 2012, 2014. Um, and since, due to some injury and I guess whatever else, uh, <coughs> I've had a knee go bad on me. And a total knee replacement ended my Highland Games career in 2016. So since I've been changing how I look at things as an athlete, what pursuits I really want in my life, and how I can really continue to push myself going forward. Um, you know, while max strength and that was such a valuable tool that I got to learn, um, now it's really up for me to take all the lessons I learned from those chapters of my life and apply it to making progress everywhere. Yeah, man, no, for sure. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of, we all kind of have that point that, well, hopefully we all have that point where we realize that, you know, just chasing, chasing a new, a new PR in the weight room is, uh, it's a zero sum game. A lot of times it ends up with, uh, with injuries and things that sometimes you don't, you don't, uh, you don't really come back from. Um, so I think, uh, having, having that moment happens for everybody. Um, and that, that, that moment happened for me a few years ago and um, it's kind of changed the way I've looked at things and things I've pursued from a physical standpoint. And um, recently uh, started deciding I was going to take up jujitsu, had a, had a first, uh, first jujitsu lesson this week. And man, that was, um, that was really freaking cool. So kind of changing some things around myself. I, so I can, uh, I can appreciate that viewpoint. So, um, so when you, when you were at LSU, yeah, man, the jujitsu um, stuff's neat. I wish, uh, I wish my body was a little bit more capable of uh, doing that type of thing. But uh, I think maybe jujitsu is probably not in the cards for me. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I get that, man. I've got some mobility issues, and nothing, nothing to the extent of uh, some of the injuries you've dealt with, but. Um, it it was apparent the other night when I when I had that first lesson I was like man I've really got to got to get my mobility back to where it was when I was playing college ball um, and and see if I can if I can actually make a run at this. How old this are you now? Something that I'm 34. Well, I'll be 34 in a few weeks. Right on. So I yeah, would man. I would I would really look at things less as trying to get back what was and improving on what is. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't think I'll ever get back to, man. When I remember after my first uh, semester, I can save old, you that question. <laughs> yeah, I can after save you that first, question. It's not going to happen after my that's first semester. How, it, that's not how your fucking body works, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> if I, after my first semester at Ole Miss, man, I, I came home and was uh, was in the weight room at the high school that I went to one time, and. Um, I, I was in there stretching and doing some mobility stuff beforehand. And one of my coaches comes in and was like, are you a contortionist now? Like, what is this? I mean, I, I was, you know, as flexible as I'd ever been after, after one semester up there. And, um, man, I, I don't know that I'll ever, ever get back to that. So it was, um, it was a different, different, uh, different time in life. So man, um, when you were when you were at LSU, being a competitive thrower at at that level, man, what was that like as far as you know your daily daily you're, you're prep, cutting, you're cutting in you know, and out things that are that you're having to do. 
Oh, man, come on. I hate when that mess happens. Let's see if we can get it fixed. Hey, is this any better? Uh, it seems so, yeah. Why don't you run that back by me? Okay. Let's see if we can figure that out. All right, so when you were at LSU, man, can you can you give me kind of a, just a, a day in the life of a collegiate thrower? Because, you know, we hear a lot of times about, and everybody thinks football, baseball, basketball, you know, your big sports that everybody plays in college, and most people kind of walk through that. But, like, it's a, it's a little bit – I remember – when I was at Ole Miss, the throwers were just a, a completely different breed of people. So, like, can you give us a walk down, like, what that day was like, you know, what life was like as a collegiate thrower? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the only uh, thing I'll, I'll put here, right, is I was far less committed to that thing than I am to the things I'm into now if that makes any sense. Like I have so much more discipline now and focus that I know I can look back now at what opportunity I could have been putting effort toward that. But a real look at what my life was as a division one. Uh, in the mornings, uh, I mean, I got up, I typically scheduled all my classes for the morning. That way, By the time we had practice at like one, I was kind of done for the day with school. And so our uh, practice would usually be one to kind of three-ish. And so during that time, we would go throw probably five days a week, and then we're going to lift probably another five days a week. And so it would be, a, you know, throw for 90 minutes or so, uh, depending on how many events I need to hit that day, right? I'm a shot put discus and hammer thrower. So sometimes you throw 20 or 30 throws in each event, and then I've got weight training and weight training uh, at that time, right? Like track and field, while max strength is really important, it's such a horsepower event. So we have to stay focused on the mobility aspect. We have to stay focused on the speed and power aspect. So lots of bounding, lots of sprints, uh, lots of like sprinting stadium stuff um, and, and a lot of Olympic lifting. We didn't do a ton. Of, we didn't deadlift at all, uh, which I don't think is a really great plan. I would probably write my throws training differently. Now, um, but that was kind of it. It would undulate throughout the season, right, depending on what time of year it was and what competitions were coming up. So if we have, you know, a collegiate track season, you've got indoor nationals, you have indoor conference, you have uh, – those big meets indoor that are usually about in April is maybe what indoor nationals is. I could be way off on that, but indoor starts in January, but indoor nationals, and then you go into outdoor season and outdoor season ends like early July. And, uh, you essentially try to peak at the end of both of those, right? So like your strength training cycle is a little bit different than say powerlifting or, or any of that, because you know, when you're scheduled for your meet for those type of events and with track and field, like I know I'm going to compete seven times before I get to the meet that I'm training to peak for. So there's a different mindset going in with just knowing that some weeks you're going to go compete and still be doing maybe high volume stuff. Um, so training would, would wrap up. I would usually make my way over to after the weight room to the training room to kind of get treatment. If anything was nagging, cold tub, uh, that type of stuff. And then 
back home usually for food and rest and get ready to start again tomorrow, do whatever, or I didn't do any schoolwork. So I pretended to do that. Um, but during college, I had jobs. And so I, I worked in bars and bounced at night and did that most of the time I worked, uh, you know, I was throwing. No, man. I, so you go through, you get through your, your career as a thrower at LSU, kind of back, you know, then afterwards you said you went through and tried to live the, what you said, being an adult or whatever. And then you got into the Highland games and that's, Man, I, I love the Highland Games. I think it's extremely interesting. I love watching it. Um, probably something that had I had I known about it when I was younger, right after right after I finished playing ball, probably something I would have gotten tried to get into. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, man, I, I wasn't really exposed to the Highland Games or anything like that until um, several years after I'd gotten out of college. When my you know I was. I was dating a girl when I was finishing up my my time as a football player in college and finishing my degree. I was dating a girl who was just a couple years younger than me, but was getting ready to start into um, a professional school that was going to take her several years. And so we got we got married right after I got out of college. And then the next three or four years, you know, she's still in school. Um, working part-time when she can, but, you know, I, I had to have an actual, you know, grown-up job and, and bring home money to actually, you know, pay the bills. Um, and so when she finished school, I had an opportunity to go back and get my master's, do it, be a GA, uh, be a strength conditioning GA. And it was at that point when I really immersed myself into the world of strength and conditioning, because my only exposure to it really was um, the year that I played football at Ole Miss being in an actual strength and conditioning program when I was there, but I only saw it from the player side. I didn't know anything to do with like the, the world of athletic performance from a professional side. And so when I became a strength and conditioning GA, um, man, I started getting exposed to a lot more of it, a lot more people, um, met, uh, met a bunch of the guys over at Sorenex when we went to conference and then through just social media, started seeing Highland games, um, more about, you know, powerlifting and more about Olympic weightlifting. And then it just kind of exploded from there. And it just became this rabbit hole that I went down. So had I, had I not, uh, had I not been about 30 when I really started enjoying looking into Highland games, I, I think that may have been something I would have competed in, but, uh, I, I felt like I was a little too old to start that at that point. Yeah, man, it, it, was, it was a great sport. You know, as a as a collegiate thrower, you kind of know it exists. But at that time, too, right, you figure I graduated from college in 2005. So not quite as much information out there as there currently is about stuff. Um, yeah, I knew it existed and got lucky enough to hook up with a dude in Baton Rouge who was doing some strongman training. Um and then that kind of opened the door to everything. I was like, oh, shit, powerlifting meets. Oh, shit, strongman things. Really, it was just, yeah, I needed something to compete in against. Because, uh, you know, man, I'm not going to go to the gym just for the health part. Um, I, I'm better at it now. But uh, overall, like, that part doesn't really do anything for me. I like getting better at shit. Hmm. So I like being able to Seems use like my time in the gym. It. To kind of, of course we did today enhance that performance of whatever the thing is I'm trying to do. Um, and so the more I started traveling as well, 
uh, with Highland Games, and then I was traveling quite a bit for work at the time, doing outside sales. Uh, I started meeting guys at Sornex. I started meeting guys up on the East Coast, like Steve Pulsanella, who's an old Highland Game pro and had done some World's Strongest Man at Iron Sport. I uh, got to know Jim Windler at the time from being around Elite FTS for some some trips I'd made to Ohio for work, and I would just go and train places and try to soak up as much information from these people as I could, including yeah, out on the West Coast, getting introduced and meeting Kelly Starrett and Jesse Burdick and anyone else. Um, and I love the history of it, man. I love the knowing how we got to where we got to. And so Highland Games scratched a lot of those itches. Plus, it's a throwing sport. I mean, it's just like it's all the things I loved about throwing in college, but none of the bullshit of me having to go to class or deal with teammates or anything that I could fully fucking do it individually. And that opens so many doors for me and checks a lot of boxes about everything else I'm really into, which is the full accountability of everything in my life, right? That the Highland games for me were absolutely, if I win, it's because I've put in the time I made the decisions. I chose to do this. And if I lose, it's because I did not. No, absolutely. So did hate come around before the Highland games or was that kind of birthed through the Highland games? How did, how did, uh, like, what was the timeline on that? So that would be through. Uh, so I started competing in 2008, um, I wrote the first book about training for the Highland Games. Uh, uh, training Lab would have been 2011. So that would have been my first professional game, would have been 2011. 2012, I won a world championship. 2014, we started making apparel. But in the first book, uh, The Hate's one of the things I wrote about was just that internal motivation for not listening to my bullshit of why I can't be my best. Like pretending they're listening to any of the lies of that. Like it's someone else's fault other than mine, why I'm not my best. Man, that is, that is such an incredible concept. And it, and it plays right into the theme of this entire podcast. So with, with discomfort by design, man, it was, it was, it was birthed through the last several years of, of being around people like yourself, you know, like you, you, you go to summer strong, or you go to winter strong, or you go to these different clinics and conferences, you start, you know, interacting with these, what I would consider high level, high achieving people. Um, and, and I started noticing that all of these people who I looked at and said, man, they're achieving this at a really high level. They're, they're just sucking the bone marrow right out of life and, and really just hard chargers and going at it there was this element of discomfort that they intentionally weaved into their lives somewhere, somehow, a lot of them in many, many different facets from, you know, how they train to what they eat to how, you know, ice baths, to saunas, just whatever it might be, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, there's always some sort of discomfort that they're intentionally weaving into their lives and using that as a, as a, tool to hone themselves into whatever they're wanting to become so that when they come against obstacles, it's not something that they, they're, they're not accustomed to. They can just push right through it. And so I, that was the whole point, man. I wanted to hear from these people. I wanted to hear these stories. I wanted to talk to people like you and find out what makes you tick because 
honestly, I think if more people can figure out how to do that in their own lives, then we're going to see a massive change in our society. Because in my personal opinion, as a species, we have gotten entirely too used to comfort. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's just such a short pendulum swing, right? That there's going to be the natural ebbs and flow of stuff. And I mean, historically speaking, if we're looking at humans, we're talking about like 3 million years ago is, you know, homo sapiens. And so we've really only been comfortable, man, for like the last three generations of people. No one else has ever even had it. And so it's new. We don't know how to deal with it. And we don't know how to deal with once we've started eliminating any discomfort, where do we draw the line of like, oh, shit, maybe some of that's necessary. Um, you know, long term. We'll have to figure it out or it doesn't go well. So, um, but again, look, that's a lot more generations that have to deal with it than me. I mean, it, it's so fresh as a, as a species that we don't have a real evolution for it. It's just what we're getting in the short term, which is we overeat, we overfeed, we just go to excess because we're, and part of that is the culture that we're in in America that is more is better. That more is more success, that comfortable is the route that shows you've made it, right? Like we still sell people on the idea that retirement is feet up on the fucking beach. I'd, I'd rather fucking blow my brains out than live like that. So who the fuck retirement is that for? That isn't for me. Um, right. And so, yeah, man, like having that discomfort in your life is why anything works. And if I'm looking at it, the progress I want to make in strength and conditioning or sports or any of that comes from pushing my body to have to create an adaptation. Like that's the mechanism that does it. I did it on accident a long time. It wasn't like I purposely went out to choose discomfort. I just wanted to get better at a thing that I was obsessed with. But now that I've gotten older and shifted, I can look at what really brought me benefit from that chapter in my life and how do I apply it forward. And it's that pushing myself into the levels of discomfort, into the unknown, into those things to where I do have to adapt. Or that keeps me thinking, it keeps me learning new things, it keeps me open to ideas it keeps my brain growing it keeps me healthy in my heart because i'm doing cardio i'm taking care of all those things because i'm pushing it otherwise why would my body stay at a top level if i'm never ever going to demand a top performance it wouldn't like, that's no, not absolutely how anything would work and so that's a little bit of just a biohack of deciding you know, fuck that. We're lucky enough at this point in human history that I get to pick what I want to be uncomfortable with. Oh, man, that's a statement right there. Because, you know, you start looking at that, you know, we think back two, three hundred years ago, you, you didn't get to pick it. You know, you, you don't even there, have to go was... back that far. Oh, yeah, and this really isn't globally. Right. This is just our country. Not that's a great point. Place I mean, to do, but like this isn't even global. There's plenty of indigenous people still, and 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 yeah, even man. even even when you if you're not talking about just indigenous tribes that are stuck off in the Amazon jungle or out out in the the bush of Africa or whatever, but you're you're there's 
what we would consider developed countries that are still having to experience certain discomforts that, that we don't, uh, that they don't have a choice over. That's, that's a great point. Look, we're going as a species. One of the things that is clear is we will identify things we don't like and we will fixate on them, but that doesn't have to be. It's an interesting mechanism that I think kept us alive a long time evolutionary, right? Like they would focus on things that would possibly try to kill us. But we're not running into those anymore, but that doesn't mean the mechanism isn't still there, which continues to point at fucking how different we are as things we need to change in the other person instead of just worry about our own shit. Um, and being able to kind of get better reference points for gratitude or any of that for how lucky we are and how great this existence is and how much of an opportunity we have to really pursue the things we're in love with it's up for you to find i mean what you're talking about right like so i've got a trip we just booked yesterday um you know man i, I don't know however you get to do these things but this is how we've got here right like i set out from throwing rocks in a field as a as a hobby and got good at it. Then we got to make some videos and I started recording. Well, I started recording YouTube stuff to show off the throwing, which turned to a vlog, then turned to books. And then from the books, it turned to having the apparel brand. The apparel brand has brought me the ability to make better content and so forth. And so at the end of next month, we're going with one of Not Dead Yet's sponsored athletes, uh, Justin Wren. Uh, we're going, Brant and I are going to Uganda. And so we're going in to help put in freshwater drinking wells with the Batwa Pygmy people. I mean, these are people that, you know, don't have fresh drinking water that are still, don't have schools, don't have hospitals. This is a, a community of people that are really forgotten in an already forgotten place. And so being able to even just get fresh drinking water, these people like changes their life immensely because they're not walking down this treacherous mountain pass to go bring back jerry cans of water. Um, yeah, man, my fucking life doesn't have any problems. <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned not dead yet. And, and that has been one of the coolest things. So, um, I know we have some, some mutual friends, um, you know, Johanse Bolden and uh, Scott mm -hmm. Davis and some of these other guys that have been, been around you um, that, are, that are guys I consider friends as well. And I've heard a lot about like this entirely new shift in branding and, and, and mindset and focus that you've done with around not dead yet. Um, and I, I loved, um, I, I loved what you, you said, I think, and I may, I may butcher this, but I, I thought I'd seen you say something about the hate was the how the not dead yet is the why. Is that, is that how you phrased it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really how it feels. You know, that the okay. how I can get it done. Yeah. You know, that's that drive to get better every day. Like that's that feeling of, I know I didn't give it enough. So um, where the why will you, will I you go through is that opportunity. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That, that, that's it. What, what would you like? I was. I want to. I want to know how that came around, man. Because like you, you, you had such an like. It's it's one thing when you see somebody who 
has a brand that is kind of starting to fizzle out and they're like, Oh, we got to rebrand and restructure and, and flip around. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, hate, hate is not from, to, to my knowledge, from what I could see as a consumer and as, as someone on the other side of it, it wasn't like y'all were losing traction or fizzling out necessarily. And this was a, no, I, a rebrand of necessity, but where did not no. dead yet come from? Um, so we've been using it as part of a tagline for a long time. Like within the brand, we've been using uh, rest when I'm dead. I mean, we've been running that on stuff for a really long time. Um, you know, the more and more time that has passed that I got to reflect on my father passing away in 2014, um, which has kind of brought me to the 1612. Uh, that's what my mentorship group initially started out as. And that is this reflection on at that time when he passed away, uh, he was 62 years old and I turned 31 the following day. And it was just really evident of like, okay, so that's halfway. You're halfway through the ride. And if so, that's 1,612 weeks. That's it. Like that's how long I've got to have all of the experiences I can ever dream of. It has to happen in that time. There's no extra there's no maybe fucking even that time's not guaranteed. And so as that's kind of continued, like any time things are tough or I'm really challenged or I kind of feel at that wit's end or I'm fully pushed and, and, and gassed, whether that's traveling or it's production work we've done or anything else yet, I, I still have this ability to look at myself and say, well, we're not dead yet. Like we're still in it. Like we can still make the next choice. We can still make another decision. I can still choose to take that next step. Because we're not dead. And it's just continued to resonate so much that it's it's really, really what the overall message of everything I want to do is. It's about that celebration of the years in front of you and not being dictated by whatever was behind you. So what do you what do you say to people who would respond to that with saying, you know, oh, Matt, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know why my life is like this. Da, da, da. Like, you know, how, man, what, what do you say to people who say I, something like that? Cause I, hear I can't that do all anything to change it and neither can they. Right. The only thing that I have any control over is tomorrow. And even if those are the things that I've that I've had happen, whatever your life is, whatever those things, those traumatic experiences, man, I've had a great run. I've had some bullshit. But I've had, I've had a, great, a great go, and man, I see it. I see that. I see how overwhelming it can be. But just knowing that you don't have to keep following that line for any reason. Like, you're not obligated to be something you were yesterday just because you've got 15 years in it. If you're unhappy and you're unfulfilled, figure out how to get away from that. Figure out how to get going toward what you want it to be. It can look too daunting and overwhelming, but I promise that there's just a single step we can figure out right now, and then we'll figure out the next step then. But we have to start taking action, and we need to know where we want to be going with those actions. Because I know so many people that work really hard and tons and tons of energy, but it's not directed. You know, it's not investing in themselves. You see people who spend their spare time at night disconnecting, watching the same fucking episode of The Office over again for the 700th time. You know, you're not on. 
you know, watch something that inspires you. Take a minute to write about your day to process it. Like, what are you doing to make the change that you want? Or are you sitting around fucking waiting for it to find you? Now, I saw you post something recently about journaling, and I know you just mentioned to take time to write it. What what has journaling done for you, and why has it been so effective? It's all in building awareness, right? Like, I can't change anything that I'm not aware of. So until I recognize a trait in myself, a habit that I have, a trigger, or any of these other things, I can't make a conscious decision to adjust it. And so journaling allows me time to focus in on my life and think about my day and think about how I felt through certain things and give me time to focus instead of how ADD and lunatic I am that I'll bounce, bounce, bounce all day between thing to thing and never actually take time to process and never have take time to look at my day and, and instead of just keep blasting to the next thing. And I always get caught in that feeling of I'm not present. I'm trying to get this done because I have another thing to do. And that doesn't require me to be my best. So if I take time and slow down and actually fucking talk to me and figure out what my intention is, what my plan of attack is, what would be smart for me to look at, oh shit, I didn't do this well. Here's where I fucked it up. How do we improve next time? Like if I don't do all that, I'll just continue to make the same actions because I'm not thinking. So the journaling portion for me has just allowed me such a different ability to know me, what I want, and where I want to go. So what, let me ask it this way, what, uh, man, what part of your day are you like carving out for the journaling? Because, you know, you, you hear people say you want to start your day with the journaling, kind of plan your day out, write down what you're going to do. And then you hear guys like Mickler talk about the after action report, like at the end of your day, you need to sit down and look at how everything went and write, you know, what you did, what you should have done. Da, 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 da. Like I'm, I'm bummed, what what I'm, do you find is successful? Whatever gets you to fucking write in. That's what's successful. Like whatever works. Like I, I, I get really annoyed that we get so dogmatic and looking for the best or right way to journal when all of it simply has to come down to what is your fucking life and being aware of when you can fit it in. You'll journal if you decide it's a fucking priority. When you journal, doesn't matter. Morning or night, you should experiment and see which one works for you. But I don't need to give you any next direction on journaling if I can't get you to stop for five fucking minutes and talk about your day. No, I mean, I, I love so letting that. go of some of those that. big picture ideas of right or wrong or anything. Fucking stop and just be intentional with your time for five minutes and look at your day. What was your favorite part of your day? It's a really stupid, simple question, but start there. What was your favorite thing that happened and why? What was the least favorite part of your day and why? Three, what did you learn? Need journaling topics? Write those three every single day. And that is that is so profoundly simple. And, and you know, there are people that are probably going to listen to this and they seem like, you know, mind blown, like, oh, it's that easy. It really is. Um, man, the, journaling. the easy part isn't the journaling. The easy part is doing it 90% of the days that I'm alive since 2015. 
It like that's been... where the fucking change happens. Yes. That's the way you lose weight. That's the way you get better in the gym. That's the way you learn more information is I can't just go study 40 books today. It's I need to pick up 10 pages every day. You know, want something to journal about? Start reading a new book. Really easy topics. You know, then you've doubled down on two exercises that'll do nothing but benefit you. No, that's, I love that, man. That's perfect. You know, when I, um, Brandon Lilly is who kind of got me started into journaling, um, a few years back. And it is, it has been something that has been pretty, pretty profoundly important for me. Um, and, and I would go spurts and still do where it's like, man, I'll journal heavy every single day. Some days it's five minutes. Some days it's an hour just depending on, I mean, it is, there's been days where it's like, man, I know I need to go to sleep right now, but if I don't, if I don't get this out on paper, if I don't get this out and look at it, it's going to, it's just going to leave. And I'm not going to be able to get back to this particular point, this mindset or, or what I'm, you know, thinking, feeling, whatever. Um, there, there'll be times where it'll go a week or two and just not, you know, and I, I won't. And then um, I, I notice it's missing. And I notice the effects mm-hmm. of it are missing and I get really intentional with it again. And it's, it's been something that I yo-yoed with for a while, but something that I've gotten really serious about here over the last several months. And, and look, for me, I'm the type of guy that I would rather know that journaling didn't work for me because I tried it and I gave it hell and was consistent with it then be a guy who's going to shit on it and never give it a go. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people with, with, with any new endeavor are, they, they think they have to have it figured out from the jump, right? Like it's, it's almost like, yeah. Like with this podcast, man, I, I, I'd wanted to do this for two years before I finally was like, you know what? I don't have to have it figured out. I don't have to have all the right equipment. I don't have to have all of these things. I just have to start and and we'll figure it out as we go. And I think a lot of people take that, that same attitude, that same mindset of I have to have all my ducks in a row. I have to know exactly what I'm going to do, how to do it. And to be able to do it well, I have to be able to do it well immediately. And, and why do you think people feel that way all the time, man? Because I see it a lot. Because... They want validation, right? Like you want to feel, you don't want to be made feel like you don't know what you're doing. Truth is fucking no one does. Um, the same reason why people do that shit before signing up for a powerlifting meet of like, Hey, what numbers do you think I should hit before I should do my first meet? Like no one fucking cares. Go do your first meet. Like it's the experience of learning how to do a meet. No one gives a fuck what your lifts are. You know, and if you want to get better at podcasting, like you want to get better at the bench press, right? You need reps. Congratulations. You, I mean, the same reason people don't go start in the gym when they're adults. You know how many few adults are able to check their ego enough to suck at something for a while? Especially suck at something publicly. They would way rather hide in the background instead of actually ever acknowledge that that was true. They're the same type of people who would always just be able to say like, well, you know, if I would have done that at this point, I, I would have probably been very good at that. Like, well, you fucking didn't. <laughs> like, you chose not to, right? So start making decisions and start fucking stuff up and realize no one gives a shit. There aren't any real consequences for making mistakes. 
try stuff. I guarantee you, you're better at podcast 100 than you are at podcast number one anyway. So let's go ahead and just fucking get through fucking up 99 podcasts. No, man, I, I think, the I idea think that's of, awesome. I love that. God, yeah, like man, that. the idea of perfection is such horseshit. It's progress. I want progress at everything. You know, I think about, you know, I think about people and, and I look at like, like makers, right? Craftsmen, like people who forge and stuff like that. And, um, man, I, I, I there's a guy that I met. Um, you probably met him at Summer Strong a time or two. His name's Brent Nolan. And dude just started forging one day. And like, I've got some of his early stuff, like some of his very first knives. <laughs> oh, man. And and he he laughs when we talk about it because he's like, man, those are so terrible compared to what he did to begin with. Of course, but, but, well, they, and of course they are. You know, I mean, they should now, be right. But but how come how come how come it's cool for us to go ahead and like uh, we recognize that right? We totally recognize this idea that of course this stuff was bad at first because it's in reference to where he is now. So that's an easiest way for us ever to make a decision on progress, right? Is we can always be shitty about I'm not as good as I think I should be, which is this gap mentality of I'm always bummed because I'm not where I think I should be built on some bullshit expectation based on nothing. No real life experience that you know. Whereas looking back at what he's done to where he is now, is fully measurable progress that's honest with the amount of effort you put in. Man, and we can look at that and no one has a problem recognizing it in something like making knives. But what if that's in how you communicate with your partner? What if that's learning how to speak to yourself through journaling, right? That I'm going to be better at knife, you know, at whatever rep 100 is. And just trust that process of getting better. As long as I show up with the intention of giving a shit, it'll take care of itself. So, I mean, it, it, to that to that thought, then you know we have people that chase perfection all the time. But as you just said, the, what a fucking waste. We should we should be <laughs> what a fucking it. waste of time, man. What a waste of effort chasing perfection. I know, right? I mean, because the goal should be progress, right? Are you better now than you were before? Or are that's you still the that's same? That's the only thing that matters. Because that, that's, that's there isn't the any other question. metric that's really fucking important. Man, that's a man, that's that's a that's a, a profound statement. And I love what you said about your progress is a direct reflection of the effort you put in, right? And 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 your effort your, your progress will tell on your effort. You know, if you if you're not making a lot of progress, then it, then you're not putting in a lot of effort. Um, and man, and that's you a, can lie about it and be like, "Well, I've been doing this for three years; it should be bigger." Yeah, I could feel that way, right? Like, I love what I get to do for a living. However, like my YouTube channel, we've got 1,700 videos in a channel that has a very normal size following of like 40 grand. You know, a lot of people don't continue pushing that way. Because they had some expectation of this is going to be the thing that blows them up. You know, I want to create for a living. And so whatever I can do to keep creating, that's what I do. The expectation of what other people are going to think of it or how it needs to go isn't really what I'm that concerned about. Man, that's, that is I believe we're making better shit than we were five years ago. 
and we'll make better shit five years from now. So how do you, how do you do that? So that is something that intrigues me because it, you know, when you look at people who create things, these creative minds, how do you, how do you continually find that next thing? Right. Because it's like, at some point, personally, I would feel like at some point you've got to go, man, I got nothing left. I've done everything I can possibly think of. Where are you continuing to find the inspiration? Where are you continuing to find that drive to push, to find the next slogan or the next whatever that's going to go on your apparel or or the next content video? How do you do it? I do the things that inspire me. Like I travel, I go be part of stuff. I'm very involved in communities that I'm around. I, you know, lean on friends. I get to have these new experiences and read new information and find new books and watch new movies. I get to see the world. I get to do all these things. I'm infinitely inspired all the time. And the more time that I take to add awareness to that, I have something to say. I have things I've taken from it. So designs are easy. As long as I'm doing the other part. Now, if I sit on my ass and not sit around, that's when I get the writer's block. That's when I get trapped. But when I'm out doing those things, that part comes naturally. But if I'm trying to just sit here at my desk and come up with new ideas, that's not how it works. So for me, I've got to be doing. I've got to be embodying it. I've got to be living it. I've got to be doing those Doing the reasons I've built this life is so that I have freedom to chase the things that I'm interested in and be around those conversations and those people that make me better. You know, we talk about, you know, you go to something like Winter Strong or Summer Strong uh, or, you know, any get together like that or retreats we host or anything and you leave on such a high because the energy and the frequency of the people you've been around for that couple of days is so different than your everyday life. I decided to make sure that all the people I spend my time with give me that. So how do you curate that? Because it's easy to get that when you go to a, a summer strong or winter strong or these little treats, because it's, it's a snapshot, right? Like you're getting, you're getting what you, you need from those moments, but that's not, necessarily everyone's everyday life. So how have you been able to see which people you need to get around to do that? Because sometimes you get around people at those events and you're like, Oh man, this dude's awesome. I got this great vibe from him. We'll get all this energy. And then, you know, you start hanging out with them on a more regular basis and you're like, that's not, you, you are not the same dude. No, you learn that a lot, man. Not everyone's, not everyone's got it all the way through. There's a lot of people that talk, talk, talk. Um, you sniff it out. And then when you sniff it out, you move on. You know, those, those aren't the people that I want to be around long term. And that's, that's, again, just for me to sniff out. That means it's not my flavor. It may be very valuable to someone else. I don't give a shit. I know it's not for me. Right? I'm not trying to fix that person or help them sort that out for them. I'm going to surround the people that naturally have that light in them. And the way that you surround yourself with people like that is you go to things, you, you meet these people and you have to be valuable enough to provide them with the same fire. 
You can't just show up with your fucking hands out and want to steal everyone's inspiration and move on with your life. You've got to be doing great enough shit that these people are stoked to be around you. And then it all builds on itself. So what, where do you, where do you go to find that? I know you say you're curating that in your everyday life. Where have you gone to get it? Because, you know, you got to see it somewhere first, right? You got to go experience it and, 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 and see that mm-hmm. there's a difference, right? And say, oh man, that is what I want. Where did that happen for you the first time? Um, I would say probably one of the earlier summer strongs I ever did was I was around a thing that I remember just being like, oh shit, this is really cool. And I've never been around it. I knew that there was a common ground with people in the room on something that I normally felt a little bit of a weirdo about was the strength training obsession piece. Um, you know, again, especially in 2007 or 2008. Um, and all of a sudden, like, I knew I had a tribe of people that we didn't have to figure that out. We already knew we were all into it and we could just completely fucking nerd on that realm. And so that was the first time I remember being around that and being like, oh, that's fucking awesome. And And so, so, you know, once you you find that common ground. Yeah. And so as I have a bunch of varied interests, I've put myself into a lot of different circles and a different and different worlds of people out there to experience what I can. And then as I have, it's about being valuable to that group. It's about being part of their community. You know, I think that's a a piece that a lot of people miss. A lot of people want to receive, 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 but they don't like to, you know, be able to provide back. And I think that a lot of those relationships get very one-sided because people are so hell-bent on what others can provide for them. And they're, they're not as concerned about what value they bring to the table, right? They just want to show up and eat. They don't, they don't want to bring something to the meal. So, I mean, I think that's a, that's a debt, you know, that's something that we, we as a culture, as a people have got to work on is not being just consumers so much, but being creators for sake of a better word. Um, How dare you? That will not pay all the bills that we're trying to get paid. (laughs) America likes consuming, man. Look at us. That's a fact. That is a fact, but you know, and we, we do consume so very much, but I've found man that when, when, when I, when I've found myself at the best points of my life from a creative standpoint of, of, you know, being inspired and being just a fire lit under me, it's, it's come from being around people who create without any sense of, you know, what they're going to get out of it. They're just, they're doing it because they love it. And, and that's just who they are. They're authentically themselves and, be darned anyone else that has anything bad or negative to say about it. Like, that's cool. You ain't got to be a part of this gravy train. We're just going to get on the tracks and ride, get off or get on whatever you want to do. And being around those type of people is what has been massively life-changing for me in the way that I view relationships and the way that I view life in general. Same. I mean, I I think that's same. And I think that echoes for every one of the, outstanding lunatics that I spend time with. 
And if that's true, right, like then that that's the hack people are missing is you have to be around a community. You know, I think. I think, you know, over time, as we've done cities and more anonymity and, and we're not part of things as much anymore. Now, with the Internet and being able to actually find a community of people that you're into. Uh, we've learned that's important but so is the in real life version of it. There's something extra that happens when it's actually going on instead of just being virtual. We still need touch. We still need that feeling of love. We still need to be able to be seen and be able to show people what we've learned and have value and listen to other people. There's something about that that can over, like you just can't get through a discord server. No, man, I, I agree with that completely. And I think that's the magic of events like a Summer Strong or Winter Strong, even the events that you've had um, up at your place recently, is that <clears throat> you capture that community, that tribe that uh, it may be virtual most of the time. You capture that energy and then it magnifies when you all come together and start pulling in the same direction. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's really, really neat to witness. Yeah, it's it's been... It's been a real game changer for us. So what is, man, what does the future look like for not dead yet? I have no fucking idea. I, have <laughs> I love it. What I would like to do. Um, pretending I have any idea what the future looks like. No fucking clue. Well, my intention is I want to keep growing the brand. I want to continue to make stuff that I'm proud to make that I want to wear that feels inspired by the lifestyle that we want to back and that lifestyle is for people who do people who are choosing that the life in front of them outweighs the life behind them and that, that they're always at the wheel of their life making decisions that no matter what it is they're deciding it that they want the most out of their time here because that's all there is um you know with that I really love getting to do the mentorship stuff and the mindset coaching um, with Not Dead Yet Life. I like getting to share that information. I like getting to write. Uh, so I'm still writing a lot. Um, I signed a publishing deal. I have a book out in November of, next, of this year. So excited about that going on, trying new things, excited about more production work like we're getting to do with this trip to Africa or what we got to do last year with Indian motorcycles. You know, for me, it's, you know, whatever facilitates me being able to continue to create and make the next thing is what I want to do. I mean, whether or not I have to be on camera for it, I don't care. I want to, I want to make content that inspires people to be their best. Yeah, man, no, for sure. So do you have a, do you have a kind of a direction you're looking for with the book or is that kind of just an open-ended thing right now or? No, the book, the book's fully, uh, is a full manuscripts done. Awesome. Um, yeah. And so I started writing the book in 2016. Uh, I was journaling and doing that kind of going through, okay, we're going to have knee surgery. This is what rehab's going to look like. Here's day-to-day -day mindset, what I'm trying to accomplish and get back to competing a year later and win another world championship, which was hopefully the plan. Um, 
and through that journaling, like it all comes through of, oh shit, we're having another surgery. Oh shit, we're having another surgery. And finally the realization that, you know, we'll never compete again. This isn't, we're not getting back there. That's done. Our new focus now needs to be on, can we get out of pain? Because if we can't get out of pain, none of this other shit's important. And so taking on that path of doing everything I could to get out of pain and manage it and get out of that really dark transition in my life, which then led me to the loss of identity as an athlete and how I got to sort my way through it to figure out what feels like now the best chapters of my life and what I really believe is they'll continue to be the best chapters every year forward. So how did you do that? Because that is, man, that's something that almost every person that's ever competed past like, you know, peewee in high school, right? That they ever go down the college to uh, professional, you know, level of competing, it, it, it becomes so much of your identity that it's hard to keep it separated. And then once you're no longer competing, once you're no longer the athlete, you all of a sudden have a huge identity crisis because you wrapped yourself up so much in that thing. How did you sort through that? One of those is the awareness of how unimportant the thing that I did is. Right. And so that means it's only important to me. So part of that identity, right, is how you want to be viewed by other people. But first I need to figure out how it is I really view myself. And do I view myself as someone who's going to walk around and spend the next 20 years talking about this shit I did? I don't want to do that. You know, I don't walk around talking about playing high school football anymore. I'm 40. This other thing I did isn't any different. That chapter was going to end anyway. You know, we all get caught in that fear of losing identity because we're trying to hold on to a temporary thing that was never going to be permanent anyway. And so the identity you should be having is that I'm someone who can get better at shit. So where can I apply that next? You know, you know the identities I'm turned on by, man, they're not, they're not the guys who did one great thing. Um, but they're athletes like Steffi Cohen or Hathor Bjornsson or any of these other people that, you know, could have very easily just been the best at powerlifting or the best at world's strongest man. And then, you know, could have done, just done the game of Thrones thing. Um, but they didn't, they've continued to go out there publicly and take on new sports that are challenging that they shouldn't succeed at for whatever reason. And yet they do because they understand the recipe of getting better. And like that identity, as soon as you let go of how fucking who gives a shit what I did yesterday is, that opens the full table to I get to be what I want to be today. I don't have to be the guy who did the Highland Games. I don't have to have a 400 pound bench press to ever tell people I was strong. I don't lose any of those things I did. All my maxes are those. Look, I figured out all my greatest strength maxes at the best time in my life for being strong. I don't need to know those metrics anymore. I want to know what other ones I've got. I want to know all the metrics that I was capable of during my life, not just five. 
So, man, that is, that, that's, that's hugely profound, honestly, because <clears throat> so many people, so many people put all of their time, their energy, their effort, their focus into what they can, what they, what they are, who they are between the ages of 18 and 25. And then after that, it's just yeah, like, yeah, all right, yeah, now I'm just going to kick around and man, work a job and retire and die. Drops, they get miserable. That's really fucking weird how that lines up. So, I mean, we, like we, no talked, shit. we talked a little bit in offline, a little bit about fear. I mean, I mentioned something to you, man, about that's something that I've struggled with in the past is, you know, is fear and everybody's afraid of failure to a degree. Um, one of the things that you, it really still does to a time, to a point is, is bothers me as a fear of success because like, <clears throat> and I'll use, I, I don't, I don't understand that at all. I'll use this podcast as an example. So okay. my, my life right now, I'm a, I'm a high school football coach and strength coach, a husband, a father, I have three kids, a wife, and that's my job. And, and my life really kind of revolves around that. And that's great. I love that. And I love doing those things. This podcast was something that I wanted to pursue, not, not to become some big syndicated podcast host. If that happens, Awesome. You know, if I start making a, a million dollars a year off this podcast, wonderful. That's great. Well, I'm but glad what you does that, that mean? The, the, like, if that's if that's a successful venture, like if that's what success looks like, how is that going to change the things that I love? And so there's a there's a fear almost of if you really jump into this and you become successful at it, then this is what's going to follow, and that may change everything that you currently know and, and that you feel comfortable with. And so it's almost like the antithesis of this entire podcast is is that desire to not do something because it may change exactly what your life is and what you become comfortable with, if that makes sense at all. I don't know. Maybe I'm rambling. I think that's a common excuse people use. Um, I think it's mostly built out of bullshit. To be frank with you, I mean, you're you're talking about right that, that something you're claiming is a fear, right? Is the unlikelihood that your podcast takes off and becomes this thing that absolutely changes your life? Like we know what the reality of that looks like. Absolutely, right. And then to be honest with yourself about that, and then to be honest with yourself about there's no such thing as overnight. Like it ain't going to fucking sneak up on you and you go, holy shit, this is now taking over my life. It's not how it works. You're making the rules the entire fucking time. You want to record two of these a month? Only record two a month. That's up to you forever. There's plenty of people making big fucking money only doing a couple a month. It all comes down to the quality of the content you're putting out, not the quantity. So already building in a reason that you shouldn't do it is because there's this likelihood that you'll be great at it is a fucking weird feel. Right? No, I mean, I agree completely. And like, it, it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. It's like, I, I've, I've literally had someone say this to me before about losing weight, talking about, man, I, I'm, I'm scared that if I do this, if I go down this path and I lose all this weight, I'm going to lose it. And then I'm gonna have to keep it off. Like what the absolute 
What is that? Yeah, of course you have to fucking keep it off. But but isn't that what you wanted to begin with, right? Why, I don't understand the idea that I want that I want a different fucking I want a different life, but I'm not willing to do anything different than I'm currently doing for it. Then just fucking be really happy with what you have going on. Like that's also an option. I'm not for everyone living like a fucking madman and going for it. But if you're fucking not happy, do something. And if you're really stoked with how your life is, quit fucking pretending you want more. Be fucking stoked and live in it. Be really present. But quit doing that halfway in, halfway out bullshit to either side. Man, I love that. God almighty, I love it. That's that's really good. Because, you know, we, we focus in all the time on the motivation to make a change or you've got to, you got to find the motivation to do this, that, and the other. And, and that, what you just said is, is complete opposite. You don't need motivation to make a change. You need discipline. Yes. Because all all it is, right? Like you can fucking say you are whatever you want to say you are, but the truth is all you are is some accountability of the things you choose to do every day. So if I can sit here and say, well, I'm really not a runner. You know, if I choose to run every day, that definition changes. So it's up to me to decide all those things by taking action, by being disciplined, by showing up every single day and doing it and doing it because it matters to me to be the person I fucking want to be. Because the person I want to be does this shit. The person I want to be can do that. The person I want to be handles his problems faster. And I think, uh, I think you're spot on. And I think that is, man, that is, that's perfect. And, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a mindset that's not present in mass. Right. Um, and I think that that's what separates, that's what separates people who go, go achieve what they want, what they say they really want. They go get it. And people who say they want things all the time. And then, um, they just never, never quite get around to it. So, man, I, 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 Look, I think I it's it. really fucking sad. That is a culture. I think it's really fucking sad as a culture that I end up being on the outskirts because I'm willing to chase my dreams. I agree. That is, that is pitiful. It's absolutely pitiful. That simply doing that has already qualified me in some way to help try to get other people to do it like it's so fucking rare you know and a lot of that i don't know that people have their own dreams i'm not sure people know what the fuck they want and that's where the journaling part comes in i think a lot of people think they want what success is supposed to look like yet they've never defined success but what is success to success isn't a place it's a feeling me yeah Success for me is being able to spend as much of the time in the rest of my life doing what the fuck is important to me. Easy peasy. That and I think, that, really I easy think if you live like that, that would be successful. If, That's how I, I mean, what else could I want more than that, man? You know I what I mean? It. Like of all the ways human existence fucking has got a chance to go from being cave people to growing up in the middle ages to doing anything like that. And then mix in, all the places I could be born on earth. The fact that I have spare time to chase something I'm interested in, which 
everyone does is the greatest luxury that we've ever been given as a species. You know, we're talking, what, 200 years ago was like westward expansion in the Donner Party. Those people don't have time to chase interest. This is very new. Asking for anything more out of my lifetime experience than I get to pursue things that make me excited is crazy. And everyone can do that. I don't need a fucking Porsche to feel that way. Man, I'll tell you, this Nor is... Nor do I um, need a house that someone else is impressed with. This, this is Or a been... fucking degree on the wall that makes my parents happy. <laughs> Matt, I'll be honest with you, man. This has been an incredible episode just to sit here and listen to to you talk about these things because they're absolutely all true. And and, and the delivery with which you bring bring this stuff is really powerful. Um, so, man, I, I am uh, and I'm inspired. I, I hope uh, I hope you and I can stay connected and and um, man, keep in touch because. Dude, you got you got you got a fire lit under me right now about some things, and, um, and I'm 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 freaking pumped. So I appreciate well, look, man, you. anybody who's interested, right? Like that's what that's what the mentorship group's about. Sure, um, that's uh, not dead yet. Life. Um, there's links to it in all my social media places, but that mentorship group is you know that's a weekly group phone call that would, that I do with that group based on a topic. We go through journaling assignments and keep that to help building awareness. We're hosting retreats here in St. Louis as well as other things. Um, on the Not Dead Yet Life site, we've got uh, my men's retreat in March. I think there's three spots left open. And the purpose of that is building awareness and intention because we can't get you to start taking action in a, in a direction that you want unless we know really where you want to go. You know, and being some, you know, finding some honesty and letting go of what are the excuses I've put in front of my way for not going that way yet? What are the fears? What am I holding on to? Um, we're hosting a retreat in Austin, um, April 20, 28th through May 1st. And that'll be myself, uh, my wife, Bonnie, uh, Jen Wiederstrom, um, and we're going to have uh, speakers come in. So Justin Wren, Kyle Kingsbury are going to come in and speak. Uh, Rob and Dana Lynn Bailey are going to come in and speak. Uh, Kelly Sturette and Hannah Eden, uh, as well as we're going to train it on it one day and train it power athlete with John Wellborn. Um, Man, that's a lot of, my give, goodness. Yeah. yeah. And, and we've got VIP spots where you can kind of stay at the house with uh, Jen, Bon, and I. And really have a chance to get more of this time to build community to actually get to connect. And so all of that's on the not dead yet for life site. And um, yeah, man, getting to work with people. Look, if this is something that's lit that much of a fire under your ass, check it, check it out, man. I'd love to have you as part of our group. Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's um, after we wrap up, let's let's kind of let's talk a second and see what we can work out. Um, but man, I, sure. I appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with me and, and going through all this, brother. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no worries. Thank you, man. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Discomfort by Design podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a review. And we'll see you next time.